Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I'm your guide, Derek Hayes. Hey there, folks. I'm so happy you could join me this evening for yet another installment full of ghosts, creatures, and unexplained phenomena, both in the skies and on the ground. But before we get started with tonight's episode, I wanted to remind everyone out there that they too could share their encounter stories on the show. Simply give the Monsters Among Us hotline a call at one 888 608 night. That's 1-888-608-6444. You can also submit via email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com or by visiting the Report Your Sightings tab on the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com. I look forward to playing your story on the air, and for those that have called in and not yet heard their story, don't worry, it'll get played. I oftentimes sit on certain stories waiting for similar tales to be posted or certain themes to come up before sharing them. So, don't get discouraged. It'll get played. Alright, let's get on with it. When I started this show, I struggled to decide between allowing every caller to express themselves freely or to censor out expletives. I went back and forth for weeks, and when the first call finally came in using a quote-unquote dirty word, I decided to censor the call. I made this decision not because I'm offended by language. Anyone that knows me knows I use my fair share of curse words. What made me decide to beep out these words and deliver what iTunes refers to as a clean episode was the thought of me as a child. I would have loved not only my show, but so many other paranormal-themed shows as a kid. I couldn't soak this sort of knowledge up fast enough. So my thought was that if I offered a clean version of the show, kids may be allowed to tune in. Here we are, nearly two years later, and I now realize I made the correct choice. I often receive messages and even recordings from children that regularly listen to the broadcast. And just a few days ago, I received my first submission from one of these amazing little people. The following encounter story was sent in by 8-year-old Emily in Pennsylvania. Hi, Derek. I'm, my name is Emily, and I, today my mom told me a scary story that happened well, when I was back and I was two years old. I was a peaceful baby when I was in Arizona, but now that I live in Pennsylvania, well, when I was two years old, I would usually cry when my mom put me to bed because she just thought that was what toddlers did and then I would go up to my gate and scream mama mommy mommy because I didn't want to go to bed but one night was the night that she thought that I might be screaming because I was scared was the night that the scary thing happened so I was at my in my room crying my mom took me to bed read me my baby my bedtime story and when she heard me at my gate screaming mommy 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 and then and then 
she raced upstairs and um wait she didn't race upstairs yet she heard after every mommy 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 she heard so it really scared her so she went up to my room and I was the only one in my room but the lights were turned on and she turned the lights off when she went downstairs so she didn't know why so thank you for listening to my call thank you so much for sending us your story Emily your tale reminds me of something that happened to me nearly 10 years ago My brother bought his home off an elderly woman after her husband died. Side note, he happened to die in the home. Well, after a few months of living there, he began to experience strange things. He would hear whistling from other rooms in the house. This is something I actually experienced with him one evening after a football game. He'd also find things moved and apparently felt touching on his back and his head nearly every time he did the dishes. So during one of my visits home, I convinced him to let me do an EVP session in the basement. We set up the recorder on his foosball table and began asking a few questions. Upon playback, none of our questions were answered, but at one point during the recording there was a strange sound, followed by me saying, oh, it was just the dog. Then, as clear as day, on the recorder a gravely voice whispered, Dog! Neither of us recall repeating the word, and nor does the voice sound like either of ours. It's a mystery as to where it came from. Of course, this was ten years ago and the recording is now long lost, but I couldn't help but think of that experience when I heard Emily's impression of the disembodied voice in her home. In the email sent by Emily's mother, she had mentioned that the activity in the house became so unsettling that the family was forced to move. So hopefully the new home is more of a spirit-free environment. Thank you again, Emily, for sharing your story, and thank you so much for tuning in. I'm so happy to have listeners like you aboard. While we're on the subject of EVPs, and for those that aren't familiar, an EVP, or electronic voice phenomenon, is a voice or sound captured on tape or digital file with no apparent source. It's a very popular ghost hunting tactic. At any rate, Our next caller has a few EVPs of his own to share. This is Corey's call. Hello, everyone. This is Corey. I do the the artwork that has been posted with the recent Monsters Among Us podcast. Thank you, Derek, for the opportunity there. And I've uh, decided to record this and send it in to you. It's my one experience that I've had where there is actually a little piece of evidence that I can share. I used to run a podcast called Game Nights. It was a role-playing podcast. We would record our sessions and share them. And uh, it was a lot of fun. Never had any listeners, but we, we enjoyed doing it. As the editor for the podcast, I you get used to listening to all the people's voices and noises and uh, things going on in the room. It all becomes like second nature as you're kind of going through cutting out long pauses and conversations that go off the rails and things like that to kind of make something somewhat coherent. So when something comes up uh, that's not a part of that is when you kind of perk up and really start to take notice. The first experience I had, and I will preface this by saying all of the experiences that we had have happened in the same home. The first one was a little piece of music uh, that I caught in the background that was really out of place. Cell phones were, I think, just at the start of basically at that point, uh, really doing like the ringtones and that kind of stuff. And so I couldn't account for any of our cell phones doing it. But it it was a piece of what sounded like calliope music, like carnival-type music, organ music. Very faint in the background. It lasted for maybe 10 seconds and then just went away and I played it for my friends and they're like that is so strange and my one friend whose home it is was just like yeah I don't want to hear that anymore then there was another piece which is the one I'm going to share with you I could not find the piece that had the little calliope uh, music in it but this one is a voice and I can't tell you what it's saying but it's very discernible I am going to give you the clip there's a little bit of a lead into it you'll hear one of my friends talking and then you'll hear the voice come in to the podcast and uh, I'll comment on that after the clip I'm going to play uh, the little segment a couple of times 
So you're going to continue forward along the path that the Bat Body Hammer guy mm-hmm. is coming from? Okay. You, you continue a little... So you're going to continue forward along the path that the Bat Body Hammer guy mm-hmm. is coming from? Okay. You, you continue a little... The Bat Body Hammer guy mm-hmm. is coming from? Okay. You, so as you can hear, the person whose house it is is the one who is speaking, and the EVP comes up over his voice. But his voice doesn't change during the the phenomenon which leads me to believe that it is not the microphone we were using a zoom mic which was uh it's a pretty high-tech mic they they run the better part of 250 dollars or more and uh they're pretty high quality so there i don't think that there is anything that went wrong within the microphone to change someone else's voice in the room to make it sound that way otherwise why was my other friend's voice not changed I can't account for anything else. It could be it's definitely not the refrigerator, the air conditioner, or some other uh, thing. It doesn't sound like it's even in the room, really. I've listened to it a lot, and I can't figure out what it is, and I thought I'd share it and see what you guys think. Thanks for letting me share this, Derek. Thank you, Corey. As he mentioned, Corey is the very talented artist that sends me original artwork for each episode. He does some amazing work. In regards to his experience, I really wish I was able to hear the calliope music he spoke about. The very first explanation that came to mind was an ice cream truck. My thought was that if an ice cream truck drove by outside, the sound of the music playing may have been picked up by the very expensive microphones. Now, of course, if I could hear that clip, I would know right away if that theory fits or not. So, on to the clip he was able to provide. When I first heard it, I simply thought it was a strange cough. Maybe something like a half-yawn, half-cough. But as I listened further, I could tell that that was not the case. Truth be told, it sounds like the character Strongbat from the internet cartoon series Homestar Runner, a show that was popular in the early 2000s. Aside from Strongbat breaking in and interrupting the recording, I have no idea what it is we are hearing here. It's obvious something was captured, but what that is is a mystery to all of us. Thank you, Corey, for the submission and especially for the artwork. Your contribution certainly spices up the Facebook posts. Shifting gears here, we head to the state of California for a Ouija board experience that's too coincidental not to discuss. This is John's Call. Hi, Derek. This is John. I'm calling from California. My story took place in 1978. It was, as far as I can figure, either late August, September, or October. Uh, My family moved to Dublin in 1966 and bought our house. So we were the only ones that lived in this, and we really had no uh, instances of anything happening. My parents would have some friends over occasionally, and I know that there was a few times that they did the Ouija board with uh, the friends that came over. So we had a Ouija board at our house. One night, and this is why we think it was, my sister and I think it was late August, because school hadn't started and it was during the summer and we had some friends over and we ended up lighting a candle and turning out the lights and trying to do the Ouija board and at one point our dad came in and told us to turn on the light and blow out the candle because we were going to burn it out of the house we ended up putting a sheet or some clothes in front of the bottom of the crack of the door and tried tried it again, light the candle, lit a candle, and we were doing the Ouija board. Um, My sister and I both had uh, suspicions that one or the other was pushing the planchette, and I know that several times I lifted up my hands barely over the top and it was still moving, and evidently she did the same. Uh, there was at least one of my friends was was pushing was doing the planchette with us, and we think there was one other person. 
uh, it started by us asking if there was a spirit in the house and slowly painstakingly the planchette moved towards yes and it took a few minutes for it to finally get to the yes and after we got it to yes we asked is uh, what what is what is your name and without hesitation the thing just raced around the board and it was b r a n d y and we got we were all excited and we ran out of the room and told our, our mom and dad hey we got this thing to work and we got it to say brandy uh and we were all excited and we went ended up going back and trying to do some more and we got nothing well i'm i'm the oldest of eight and i was i was 15 at the time and my youngest sister was four about to turn five i'm sorry there was seven of us and she was four about to turn five and after doing it we told you know telling our parents that was it we forgot all about it uh may 5th of the next year 1979 uh my mom had a baby and she told us you know that they were going to name the child brandy and as soon as she said that we remembered that that's what we had got on the ouija board and it turns out when we told my mother and father that we had got the Ouija board to do, do this, my mother was already pregnant, and she hadn't told anyone, and she'd already had the names picked out. So it was kind of weird. I know every once in a while we still talk about this, uh, and that's my story. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, John, for sharing your encounter. This is a strange case. It's really difficult to deduce what may have taken place here due to the age of the encounter and, more importantly, the coincidental nature of the events. The only logical explanation that I can muster, aside from the unborn sister actually communicating through the board, is that a member of the group overheard a discussion by the parents regarding the child's name and forgot, only to have it manifest itself subconsciously through the board. But that's a pretty far stretch, and to me seems just as likely as the paranormal explanation. Either way, I think it's a fun story that certainly has payoff, and I'm really glad that John decided to share it. Thanks again, John. From EVPs to Ouija board experiences, we now move on to the nightly skies. The following written submission was sent in by Fernando in Texas. This happened around fall of 2014 in Austin, Texas. It was a clear night around 10 p.m. Me and a friend were out on my back porch when we noticed an orange glowing orb coming into our view at about 35 yards away and about 40 to 50 feet in the air. It was moving slowly toward our general direction at around 3 miles per hour and made no sound whatsoever. It was about the size of a basketball but not round. It reminded me of a large headlamp you would see on a motorcycle but very dim and amber-orange in color. It did not project light outward, only glowed from within. It was not directly above us, but around 80 degrees from us. And here is the strange part. When it got closest to us, the basketball-sized orb shrank down to about golf ball size and turned red at the same time. Then it turned off completely. This all happened in about 30 seconds from the time it caught our attention. I could not see any outline or structure after it turned itself off, it seemed to just disappear entirely. I'm now 43 and I've seen a lot of my lifetime, including many drones, and this was different and definitely not a Chinese lantern. It felt like it noticed us looking at it and blacked itself out. It gave me a very eerie feeling. I have a couple more UFO sightings I'll share at another time. I'm hoping someone else has seen this because I've never heard anyone explain the same type of UFO. Thanks, Fernando. Thank you, Fernando. I couldn't help but compare your sighting with two from the season 3 finale. In each of those stories, the witness experienced some sort of glowing orb in the sky over Southern California. 
In at least one of those instances, I suggested that what was seen was a burn-off flame from a nearby oil well. Being that Fernando's call came from the state of Texas makes me wonder if it's possible that the same was experienced here. Could a burn-off tower that is seldom used have been lit briefly, then extinguished? That theory seems to make sense, at least on paper. But of course, I was not there to observe the angle at which the light was seen, so it's entirely possible that that idea is easily debunkable. Not to mention the fact that Fernando claimed that the unidentified object was moving at roughly 3 miles an hour. Either way, thank you, Fernando, for writing in. This seems to be a common phenomenon, whatever it happens to be. Our next submission of the evening takes us to the state of New York. This is Ariana's Shadowy Encounter. Hi, so my name is Ariana, and I'm calling from uh, Dutchess County, New York. Um, and uh, this encounter, these two encounters happened in Beacon. So uh, in 2010, I was a sophomore in high school, and um, I was over at one of my good friend's house. It was a Friday night, um, around like, I want to say 11 o'clock at night. Um, we put her sister, who was like three years old, we put her to bed around like 8.30. And her mom was asleep. And I remember my friend was going to go take a quick shower. We were going to watch um, some show that we used to watch. I guess Pretty Little Liars. I can't remember. But um, so we... Um, when she was in the shower, I was like, I told her I'm going to make us some cold cut sandwiches. And um, I started making us up some food. And um, I remember feeling this um, to the right side in the corner of my eye. A three foot tall figure was standing beside me. So I uh, automatically assumed it was her younger sister. And I just said, hey, do you want a cup of juice? And I went inside the cavern because it was right above my head, and I grabbed her a sippy cup, and I filled it up with juice, and I poured me and my friend a cup of juice, too. And um, when I turned around, I saw the figure, you know, walk towards the edge of the kitchen, It was, and it turned the corner, and I remember it was a three-foot-tall shadow being. And um, the lights were on, so I, I definitely, you know, I remember just, I remember feeling this cold chill and I remember feeling really uncomfortable and I was like, this, something's not right, but maybe, maybe my eyes are playing tricks on me. Maybe her sister just ran really quick into the bedroom because, you know, it's late and she probably knows she's not supposed to be up. Let me just go and let me just go check on her. So um, I went to the room with the sippy cup and... I remember her three-year-old sister was completely sleeping. She was drooling and snoring. And, you know, you could tell the difference between a child who's awake and a child who's, you know, pretend sleeping. So that was um, one of my, you know, very first encounters with a shadow being. And um, I had um, another encounter a couple of years later. I was a senior in high school, and it was a Wednesday night. It was... October, it was around like, I want to say like eight or nine o'clock. And um, I remember it was Wednesday because Thursday morning on my street, we would have our garbage picked up. So all of our garbage cans were lined up to the edge of the sidewalk. And um, while we were approaching my house, I remember seeing this tall, dark figure hiding, like hunched over behind the garbage can next to my neighbor's house and I remember grabbing my boyfriend and going do you see that and he was just like what are you talking about and I pointed and as soon as I pointed this thing stood up and it was six foot tall it was a very skinny dark shadow figure and I remember it just bolted straight at me it ran straight at me and I remember trying to move out of the way and it, was, it just happened so fast, it hit into me, and I just remember feeling this really cold, tingly feeling throughout my whole entire body, and I was hysterical. I was screaming. I was just like, and my boyfriend was looking at me. I was absolutely insane. I remember you know, explaining to me, there was something that just ran at me like you didn't see it, and he was like, no, are you, like, 
I don't just, there is no logical explanation for what I saw and um, I just remember it was one of the most scariest things that I have ever encountered so yeah those are my two experiences with shadow people or shadow beings or the shadow men and um, I hope I hope uh, to call in some more and share some more of my encounters. My dad actually introduced me to the show, and uh, he, he watches it frequently, and we always listen to your shows um, often. So, yeah, thank you for giving us something that we can call in and, and be able to share our encounters and not feel like it's so abnormal. All right, until next time. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, Ariana. There are two aspects of your story that jump out to me. First is the mention of a short shadow entity. While smaller shadow beings are not unheard of, they are a bit rare in my experience. I've probably received three dozen Shadowman encounters since I started the show, and in all but one, the being was reported as normal height and sometimes taller. So the mention of the shorter entity piqued my interest. The second detail that struck me was the fact that the taller entity encountered moved toward Ariana in a seemingly aggressive manner. This is a new one for me. I cannot recall a single instance where a shadow being made a move toward a witness. I can only imagine how terrifying those brief moments would have been. To see something that strange than to have it run toward you at a high rate of speed. I'm going to go ahead and pass on that one. Thanks again, Ariana, for sharing. I'd be interested to know if there are other cases out there of either short entities or shadow people that seem to move aggressively. Now, before we move on to the final call of the evening, I want to touch on a couple quick things. Do you have a Monsters Among Us t-shirt featuring the terrifying mirrored men? If not, you're in luck. Hit up the website and click on the Shop tab. There you will find this exclusive design for the low, low price of $14.95. All proceeds from the sale of these bad boys goes to help the show grow and continue, save for a small amount designated for the artist. Who is the artist, you may ask? Well, it's none other than the talented Julian Meyer of Cryptid Zoo. Julian is amazing, and so is his artwork. If you like the Mirrored Men shirts, I highly suggest you check out his other works. You can find a link to his site in the show notes for tonight's episode. And speaking of support for the show... I want to take a quick moment to thank Teresa Z for her very generous donation and overall support of the show. Thank you so much, Teresa. Your generosity goes a long way to ease the financial burdens of the show and to ensure that it continues for a long time. If you'd like to join Teresa in donating, please visit the Support the Show tab on the website for donation options. Lastly, I want to thank all those that have recently left reviews on iTunes. They are pouring in, and amazingly, they all seem to be positive. So, thank you all for taking the time to throw me a bone. While ratings and reviews help generate new listeners, the best way for the show to grow is still word of mouth. So, if you would be so kind as to share the show with friends, post about it on social media, and by all means, interact. The new fan page is set up to allow listeners to post their thoughts and any other bits of information they feel other listeners would like to soak up. So, by all means, let's see those posts. All right. Enough of all that, let's get back to the show. Our final call of the night is a strange one. The following call comes to us from the state of Florida. Hey, um, so 2009, uh, the month of February, can't remember the exact date, 4 a.m., around thereabouts. I say that because I was running and uh, didn't have a watch on, but I know I'd left the house free. And uh, at that time, I was training for long-distance races, so I was running for hours, and I had to start out really early. And I ran on trails because I was training for... That's what I did. I ran... I still do run trails. So the area I was in, um, central, southwestern Florida, and there was... um, a, a interconnected series of wilderness parks that had a trail that was the connection that connected all these um, areas. Some were more, um, what's the word, civilized than <laughs> others. <laughs> and some were just sort of preserves. Um, and you could run, you could walk 
or run or bicycle, just by bike, I mean mountain bike. This is a rough kind of trail. Anyway, the area I was in was um, not too far off from a, a paved uh, loop for regular bicycles. Um, but I was heading off that part of the park into a much more wilder part. And over the course of several years, I'd been trading in this park. I'd seen, you know, bobcats, lots of armadillos, uh, wild boars, um, all different kinds of raptors, etc. Um, so the biggest creatures I ever ran across were boars. And I never had any problem with them. Um, anyway, I'm tooling along. I'm about to take a turn into this wilder area of the park when um, I see something ahead of me uh, where I'm supposed to be making a right turn into the into a wilder area. <clears throat> By which I mean, um, once I turn into that uh, section, um, it's just a straight shot into, for a good hour or so, easy, maybe two hours, it, it just gets less and less... Uh, civilized. <laughs> I'm not very articulate right now. It just gets into a wilder area of the park that's not maintained. Okay, but it has this trail. Anyway, I'm seeing something ahead of me and hearing something, um, and I'm very attuned to that because I'm alone at in this early part of the day in this park. And, uh, of course, I'm paying attention. I hear, like, a snuffling sound up ahead, and I think, you know, it sounds kind of like armadillos when they root around, except it's coming from a much higher place. Like, it's not on the ground. And I, I start to see the movement associated with the snuffling noise. And it, it's... I mean, I would estimate, because I, I was up pretty close to it, I would say maybe 100 yards away when I noticed it. And as I approached it, it was, you know, running, not fast, trust me, I saw this uh, a movement that was six to seven feet up, up high, um, not in the tree, coming from the ground. This, this, what I was seeing was, uh, I, I hesitate to say seven feet, but it, honestly, that's what it was. It was really, really tall. This creature, or this movement, at the time, I was like not sure what it was. Um, and the reason I could see the movement. Um, it was like a half moon in the sky. It, this this thing was pale white. Um, I couldn't smell anything. They did see something about that tall, seven feet tall, uh, moving. And the more I approached it, the clearer that became, that I was looking at something that was that tall uh, and pale white and was shuffling around in this like little tight grouping of pine trees. Uh, the kind of brushy southern pine. Um, it appeared to be like rooting around and, or messing with the bark or looking for insects or something, that kind of animal behavior. Uh, and I, I, I was, my breath was taken away by the fact that this thing was that tall. You just don't encounter things of that size in the area I was in. I mean, that, and I, and I thought, I can't believe it hasn't noticed me yet. Um, and seriously, just as I thought that, the snuffling stopped and the, the, the thing alerted the way an animal does when it recognizes there's something going on around it. So the thing, uh, the, 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 I guess, creature, it's so hard for me to admit that. Um, but it's, I mean, what else? Anyway, it alerted. Like, pause, stopped. And the snuffling ended, the movement stopped. And by movement, it was, the movement I was discerning was like, natural, like uh, animal movement, like it, all appearances, other than the giant size of this thing and the pale color of it, it was acting just like an animal would. So it, it froze. And I, at my heart, I just, something that large pursues me, I'm alone, you know, I have a, like a little running knife, that's all I've got. I was terrified. The only thing I could do was decide not to take off into, onto that wild part of the trail. I decided I'm going to go back to the paved loop and take it to an entirely different route and God help me. So I just start to do that. I, I, I take a left and I, I just take off and I think, 
faces me, you know, what am I going to do? And I'm, I'm basically thumbing through my brain trying to think, okay, what are things I can do if, if this animal decides to pursue me? And it didn't. Yeah, uh, I just kept going and going. I mean, I'm sheer adrenaline, and I, I can't even remember the route I took. It was just some other, like, BS route to get me back to my car that morning. And I remember thinking, how am I ever going to run this route again? I'm going to be terrified of that, that one area, but I'd never that creature never returned. Um, I wish there had been someone else with me to see this. Uh, yeah, I, I, I even inspected the area. It was rooting around in, and I didn't see anything unusual. Um, like I said, there was no smell associated with this creature that was of, you know, so skunk AD stink. Plus, in, in reading about, trying to follow up on this, there, the, the color of this creature seems to be, to stand out. Like, sightings of, like, you know, big footish type creatures in Florida never say that the creature is pale white. Um, also, the skunk ape part, there was no stink with this creature. I mean, nothing profound or anything like that. No, there was no stinky smell. And it, it was just so damn tall. Um, I've never forgotten it. Um, and it made me realize, you know, what am I doing out here? And if I encounter something like that, I mean, I am all alive. I, I did keep training, though. I did keep running, and I never... How that happened. I never ran into anything like that for years. I mean, all the way up to this, until t- the end of 2016, I ran those trails, and I never, ever saw anything like that again. Uh, I did try to report this on another paranormal-type um, website, and, no, and I kind of got, um, I don't know, mocked, sort of, like, oh, please, oh, stop. So... Giving another chance with your your um, podcast because I, I've heard some crazy stories and nobody's getting made fun of and that's good. So I don't know if anybody else has ever encountered like a seven foot tall white uh, creature in the woods, um, but I'd love to know if they did. Thank you. Thank you so much for your submission. Although the caller does not directly say it, I'm assuming that the creature witnessed was some sort of Sasquatch-like creature, or more commonly known in that part of the country as the Skunk Ape. While the thought of a white Sasquatch might seem alien to some, encounters with such oddly colored creatures are more frequent than one might think. In a simple search, I was able to find sightings of white or light-colored Sasquatch-type creatures in Alabama, Maine, Pennsylvania, Missouri, and even my home state of Ohio. Now, I am not a geneticist, but it's my understanding that most researchers believe that albinism in these creatures is a result of a shallow gene pool created by inbreeding. Which I suppose would make sense in the states listed above. I can only imagine how difficult it might be to migrate and find a mate in some of these higher populated states. All those assumptions aside, I was able to find the following YouTube clip from user and Bigfoot researcher Dale Boswell in Alabama. Hello, this is Dale Boswell. This is my front yard in Phoenix City, Alabama. Recently I decided to uh, make me a uh, long decoration of a, uh, a Bigfoot figure. Here's my Bigfoot buddy, my silhouette that I, that I built uh, out of plywood. Well, I left it in my carport uh, because, uh, you know, I hadn't finished it yet. And uh, later that night, my daughter had a, had a sighting. And uh, she saw what I believed to be was a white Bigfoot that apparently had come out of the edge of the woods to see this big fellow back here. Uh, you know, they are uh, territorial and they are very curious. So, you know, what started out as a uh, long decoration may have turned into a Bigfoot decoy. And she is very credible, so I believe what she uh, said, and uh, I believe she saw what she said she saw. 
I walked outside to get a cigarette and a lighter. And I went to um, light the cigarette. When I looked up, I seen like something very big and white, like very tall. I couldn't see from, you know, like, it was such a quick glance, I really couldn't see, see, but I know I seen white in some trees. And no sounds, didn't hear anything. Like when, it was like just such a split second, stop, you know, and it was like looking, um, it kind of ran off, <laughs> but then again, it kind of didn't run off. Um, it didn't leap, it didn't jump, but no noise either. Like I don't know how to exactly explain how it just like, it's not one of those it was there and the poop it was gone. You seen it, or I seen it, it was there, but then, you know, I seen it kind of like leap off. <laughs> it wasn't leaping. Um, yeah, very light, very, very tall. Like, I could, it couldn't have been, like, I don't even know if any bears are around here because like it'd be bigger than a bear yeah so and it wasn't a dog there was no way that's why I stopped like I was stunned because like dogs are not that big either yeah was it solid white no there was some it was like I guess a watered down orange um kind of color but it wasn't much like in the fur I guess you'd call it fur hair fur I don't know the, the hair or fur reminded me of one of those really tall dogs with the long nose and the long hair on their ears and it just all kind of goes down at one point of the dog it's just continuous hair <laughs> that's kind of what it reminded me of the legs look really huge um so it was kind of a basic white, but it had like splotches or something of different, of a different color, orange or dirty blonde or something like that. It looked like it was like, and it's really weird, but it looked like it was like a line that kind of, you know, went up and down on, down at behind, below the calves. That was all that I could see though, was the white uh, bottom and that color. And <laughs> it was so fast, that's all I got a glimpse of. And I was so stunned, I was like, uh, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you know, did I, what was that? It confused me because I didn't hear anything either. Like, nothing. That's also what scared me. Because <laughs> I didn't hear no leaves, no twigs, no grass, nothing. <laughs> Like when I said it leapt, I mean, like it didn't really leap, but it didn't run either. But when it moved, there was nothing, no hearing, no sound. I was really confused. You know, I live in a wooded area, basically. You know, a few houses here and there. But there's plenty of room for a Bigfoot to come. But I, I never thought there would be one this close to my house, within 40 steps from my front porch. So uh, I am pumped up and I am excited. I, I haven't been doing this very long, uh, just a little over a year as far as actual Bigfoot research, and, and I haven't done near as much as a lot of people do. So I feel very fortunate to, uh, to have uh, this encounter had happened uh, basically in my front yard. You can find a link to that video in the show notes. I've also added a link to an infamous white Bigfoot encounter from Pennsylvania. The validity of that particular video is in question, but it's interesting nonetheless. The last thing I will add here is that the description of the watered-down orange color of the creature's hair in the YouTube clip rang true to me. You would expect a large, white creature to have some staining on it from its surroundings. And being that a majority of Alabama is red or orange clay, that all makes sense. So thank you again, caller, for sharing your encounter. I'm glad that whatever you saw was docile enough to allow you to escape with the story. Given this submission, I couldn't help but be reminded of a local legend. 
the legend of the Lake Worth monster in Texas also involved a tall, stark white creature. The following YouTube video detailing the events surrounding that flap and giving plausible explanations was provided by Phil Poling of Para Breakdown. Back in the summer of 69, oh yeah, just north of Fort Worth, Texas, is Lake Worth, Texas, and just north of that is this little, almost an island called Greer Island, where some really weird things happened back in 1969. I gotta tell you, I, like most people, love a good campfire tale. Whether it's the Wendigo or the Owl Man or Bat Boy or the Bunny Man, these stories are sure to get some well-deserved attention, especially if they are based on actual events. On July 10th of 1969, the headline in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram read, Fishy man-goat terrifies couples parked at Lake Worth. Holy crap, that's an attention-getter. The basic story is that three couples were parked out near the island when something jumped out of a tree onto the hood of one of the cars. It scared the hell out of the small group, and they left the area in a hurry, later showing up at the Lake Worth Police Department, where they retold the event in emotional outbursts that, well, concerned the police, to the point where they went out to the scene to check it out. Nothing was found. A later event occurred that was said to involve many members of the community and a local sheriff's deputy, in which some creature was said to have thrown a car tire 300 feet into the search party that was out looking for the monster. Of course, by that time, quite the number of the populace had been whipped into a frenzy, jumping at just about everything that moved. Uh, the local newspapers had something to do with that, with reportings such as Witnesses Watch Monster Cavort, Lockworth Monster, Reportedly Furry Scaly, and Ghosts Seen on Greer Island. Anyway, the reports of what the thingy looked like were only limited by the imagination of the teller. Some said it was a really big bobcat, others said it was an ape that had been horribly burned in a circus fire. Others said it was the infamous Mud Man who prowled the area for years and deserves his own story. Some said the monster had a short humanoid body with a long neck. It had the head of a goat or a dog and a horn in the middle of his head. Some said it was a satyr. Later reports indicate it being a Bigfoot, regardless of the fact that the original sightings describe it as being half man, half goat, and covered with fur and scales. Others claimed it was between 6 foot 9 inches and 7 feet tall, 250 to 300 pounds, long-necked, floppy-eared, slope-shouldered, pot-bellied, covered in white hair or scaly. Then there were the disturbing tales of horrific mutilations of animals in the area, dogs, cats, and more that were being accredited to the big, hairy, scaly, hoven-horned ape-man thingy. A photo was taken of the creature in October of 1969 by Alan Plaster, who snapped it at 1.15 a.m. near Greer Island. Now, Plaster was later interviewed in 2006, and at that time, he didn't buy the monster story anymore. He was quoted as saying in the Star-Telegram, quote, Looking back, I realized that when we drove by, it stood up. Whatever it was, it wanted to be seen. That was a prank. That was somebody out there waiting for people to drive by. I don't think an animal would have acted that way. And then there was an artist's rendition of the photo made that adds quite a bit not seen in the original photograph. Artistic license be damned, there was simply too many variations and descriptions made by too many people for it to be considered as any one creature. And then there were the claims of hoaxing. Stories floated around the police department that said some teenage pranksters at Brewer High School in White Settlement were behind the monster. They had found an old gorilla suit and wore a clear plastic mask to scare people with. In 2005, the paper received a handwritten letter with no name and no forwarding address. The writer claimed to have used tinfoil to make a homemade mask to scare a truckload of girls. Also rarely mentioned is the report at the time 
of the incidents of police questioning several Castleberry students who were found with a faceless gorilla outfit and a mask. There was even a kennel operator near the lake who claimed to have lost a macaque monkey during that summer and the report of someone releasing a bobcat on the island that could have accounted for the animal attacks. Years later, someone calling himself Vinzens admitted being involved in the infamous tire-throwing incident of July 11th. He said the tire went airborne only because it hit a bump after they rolled it down a hill. All in all, the whole crazy affair with monsters and such died down after the school was back in session in the fall of 69. Some say this points to the probability of student pranksters. From my skeptical side of things, because no one can agree on exactly what in the hell this thing even looks like, how can we be expected to acknowledge its existence, especially from the concept of an impossible hairy, scaly goat Bigfoot? I mean, what family tree did this thing fall out of? Ah, but if you think I'm going to give any credence to the admitted hoaxers, well, you're wrong. We have unconfirmed admissions from alleged students at several different schools reporting different variations of different pranks and all being given by anonymous hoaxers. That's a whole lot of nothing. So I think the entire story from beginning to end and from either side came from overactive imagination fed by fear, misinformation, assumptions, false reports, and media hype. After looking at all of what has been presented, I can't imagine why anyone would take any of this seriously. But hey, it does make for a great campfire tale. As usual, you can find a link to this video and the photo that was mentioned in the show notes for tonight's episode. I'm a big fan of Phil's work, so be sure to check out his other videos on famous paranormal encounters. And that's going to do it for this episode. Remember to share your stories on the hotline at 1-888-608-6444. Rate and review the show on iTunes, get yourself a t-shirt, and share the show with friends. Thank you to the talented Corey Grimm for his amazing artwork. And lastly, music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening, and until next week. <laughs>